The following content is brought to you as a part of our Equip Study Series at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky. In this study, we will look at the true heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers as we read and discuss Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. The discussion questions referenced in this week's Equip study series will be posted in the show notes. If you have any issues retrieving those questions, please reach out to Dave or Joseph and we will get them to you. going to divide up into discussion groups but here's the way it's going to work so you just we need to just condense and get kind of close with some folks so all this kind of spread out let's let's try to get a little closer if we had like three groups maybe this section this section this section how about that this you guys are going to be smaller over here but it's all right um and what i'm going to do is kind of introduce each chapter and then I've got some discussion questions that go after the chapter that I'm going to drop off with a person in each group to lead the discussion based on. It's just like three questions per chapter. And I like that. I like the small groups because um, I just think people are more prone to talk and discuss. And if I keep it with the whole room, it ends up being... Just the same three or four people talking. Damon just dominates the conversation the whole time. And, you know, we don't want that. So, I'm just kidding, brother. Um, So, that's what we're going to do. So, let's take a moment now and get a little bit closer. And we can get into more than three if you want, but at at least three. What's the image in the Bible that that God keeps putting before us to, to help us understand what Christian growth is? Anybody? There's a lot of images, I know. I'm looking for one. It's agriculture. Right? We don't understand agriculture anymore, right? Some of you you might. You're like, I've got a great garden. It's good. But think about agriculture with me for a second. Can you efficiently make it work? Like, can you make it do what you want it to do? Can you plant your seeds in the ground? and guarantee that you're going to have a successful crop. No. Now, you can do certain things to help it, right? You can make sure that the soil is good. You can test the pH levels, right? You can make sure that you're pulling the weeds out, right? You can make sure that you're putting it in the right dimensions for shade and sunshine that it's going to need. You can make sure that it doesn't get frosted, right? All the things you get, you take care of it, you water it, But at the end of the day, there's a mysteriousness to the growth, isn't there? There, Some years you may go, man, I I don't know what I did. I didn't do anything different than I I ever do. But look at all this this fruit that I'm, I'm producing this year. And then the next year, you could do the exact same thing. And you're like, for some reason, my, my plants just aren't. I don't have tomatoes on the vine. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, like last year, Dennis was like dropping tomatoes off in my, on my desk every Sunday. Because he was just overabounding with them, which I'm very thankful for, Dennis. 
love that again. Um, <laughs> really like tomatoes. Um, but, but I think sometimes when it comes to the Christian life, we have a hard time being able to be in process. And, and I think he doesn't approach this topic explicitly in here, but I think that this is really tied to the themes of this book. Because I think one of the reasons why we're frustrated with the process is because we think God is frustrated with the process. We think that God is frustrated with us. We think that God is the one going, why can't you do better? Why can't you grow faster? How many times have I told you to do this? How many times have you messed it up? And on this podcast I was listening to today, the, the guy said this, and it really struck me. He said, I want you to imagine waiting for your toddler to learn to walk, okay? And your toddler begins to walk, and the first couple steps he takes, you, you're so excited, right? And then immediately what happens? He starts teetering, and boom, he falls down. And that's fine. And then the next day, he's going to fall down a few times, right? Could you imagine at that moment getting angry at your toddler who's learning how to walk? Could you imagine saying, what's wrong with you, kid? Get up off the floor. You ought to know how to walk by now. Now You would, like, call the police, right? CPS. Is that the right initials? Yes. You would say they've got to come get this crazy dad, right? No, you, you're actually, though, delighting in the process, aren't you? It's, you're not even trying. Like, y- you know that it's appropriate. You're, you're laughing. You have delight. You recognize that he took one more step today than he took yesterday, right? And, and you're cheering him every step of the way. That's the process, and it's slow, and he doesn't get it. And before long, though, he's not just walking. He's running, you know? And by that point, you're having to, like, hide everything in your house, Lock up all your cabinets, right? I think that that, as I read this book, Gentle and Lowly, which is pointing us clearly to Scripture, I think that's the way God is looking at us in our Christian lives. This is our Father. He knows it's a process. And what do we read? What do we see over and over and over again in Scripture? That He is slow to anger. That He is patient. And not only that, but He's the one ultimately in charge of the growth. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? God gives the growth. And so I just, I really think that that's a really uh, important idea that, that kind of goes along with this, that, that I hope will give you a lot of peace in your life, that you know, your frustrations aren't necessarily the same way God feels about them. And often, the only thing we think about is how terrible we are. I'm a sinner. I keep messing up. Look at all the things I should have done that I haven't done. And we, all, we walk around with this low-level guilt about, I didn't get everything done today that I needed to get done, and I'm, I'm so lazy, and it's such a waste of time. I lost my temper with my child. And, and I think that sometimes... God is looking at us, and He sees all the opposite. He's looking at us saying, yeah, but look how far you've come. 
Yeah, but look at what you were when you first started. And, and I think that perspective is really important. One of my fears, church, in our brand of evangelicalism, where we emphasize biblical doctrine, right? We talk about sin, right? We're not afraid to use that word. That's, we are sinners, right? But we're saved by grace. But my fear is that we walk out of Bible studies and sermons and the primary takeaway is how sinful we are all the time. And, and the problem with that is when we read the Scriptures, Paul's not saying, hey, I want you to think about how sinful you are all the time. Paul's saying, hey, I want you to live into this identity that you have in Jesus. I want you to think about the fact that you are a saint, that Jesus has given you this identity in Him, and you are supposed to live into that identity. And I, I think that we need to work sometimes on thinking about ourselves and trying to see ourselves the way God sees us, as saints, as those who have been declared righteous in Christ. That we're, we're, think about it this way. If you're a Christian right now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved, your life now is a process of learning to be who you are. Think about that. Paul says in Ephesians, we we're going to look at it tonight, if we have time, if I quit talking. We're going to look at it, but Paul says that your life is hidden right now with Christ, in Christ, with God. Your life, we are hidden in Him. We are already declared righteous. We are already saved. And, and the call for us is to, to, to live into that, to learn the process. It's a process, but we're learning to be who Jesus has already made us. And that's the way the Bible argues. That's what Paul's arguing in Romans 6. All over, actually. Alright, so if we get to chapter 16 of Gentle and Lowly, uh, if you have your Bible, you're going to want to go ahead and open to Exodus 34. Yeah, there's some under some seats. But in Exodus 34, this is kind of the, the primary focus of this chapter, uh, verses 6 and 7. And what do we read? So here it is. It says, The Lord passed before him, and, and the hymn here is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So he begins with this verse, and, and he makes the comment in the chapter that until the incarnation of Jesus, this verse, this, this passage, is the high point of God's self-revelation in Scripture. And he's right, because this is the refrain all the way through the Bible from here. The prophets keep referring to this. The Psalms keep referring to this. Over and over again. Who is God? It is this God who revealed Himself to Moses when Moses asked Him 
to show him his glory. And so that's what's really interesting. And that's one of the things that I want you guys to talk about in your discussion questions is that this revelation is in response to God, to Moses saying to God, show me your glory. And what's the response? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And you can read the rest. That is God showing Moses his glory. And so there's three discussion questions right there. And what we're going to do is I'm going to let you guys discuss those in your groups. And uh, when it kind of sounds like you might have run out of discussion, uh, I will immediately go back to chapter 17 and kind of introduce that. And then we'll talk about chapter 17 as well. So you can go ahead and begin that now. I know you didn't get through all the questions, but we have to get through four chapters. So uh, we're going to just pause you right there. I hope that you got resolution and that you didn't just leave it out on a limb with that judgment thing at the end and not get all that related. The important part is that he's gentle and lowly. Okay. Um, so the second... The chapter 17, not the second chapter, the next chapter, chapter 17, he turns to Isaiah 55. So I just kind of want to remind you where we are in the book. If you remember, the whole book is about Christ's heart towards sinners. And as we go, Ortland is trying to show us that all the, all the persons of the Trinity are one on this, that this isn't just like the Son is the merciful one and God the Father is the angry one, you know, but but God is a unity, and all three persons of the Trinity, the Bible tells us, are involved in this. And we've already looked at the Holy Spirit, and we're, we're really now digging into these passages in the Old Testament that describe God the Father. And so we're in Isaiah 55, 6-9, through 9, and this is what we tend to focus on. Here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, verse 8. Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. Now, that verse is a favorite verse to get pulled out of Isaiah. And what do we use that verse to talk about? What do we want to talk about with that verse? God's ways aren't your ways. Okay? Yeah, when things don't go the way we want them to. We, we read that as a rebuke, don't we? Like, oh, you guys are disappointed, that, but God and His providence has caused things to happen, which is true. There's truth there. I'm not negating that. But Ortland is trying to get us to see that the purpose of this verse in its context is not a rebuke. It is a lovely, beautiful picture of God's love. And so we back up and we read verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the, the point of Isaiah 55 is to show us that God is better than what we could ever imagine. That He's not like us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts because He's a God of mercy. Because He's forgiving us. Because He loves us. We can't imagine a God who would be so patient and kind with His children. And that is what Isaiah 55 is about. Uh, and so my talking is very limited tonight, and your discussions were going so great. I'm just going to turn it right back over to your discussion leaders now. There's some questions to consider. All right, well, it's great conversations. <laughs> Save it, just a few seconds. So, moving to chapter 18, we're not going to get to chapter 19, sorry. Just read it again. It's New Testament, we're not really doing the New Testament tonight, so... Um, Jeremiah thirty-one twenty. okay, and... and you know, I, I really appreciate the way the author of this book sets up these passages. He's really careful to put them in context, because I think that's a big mistake, typically, in kind of uh, evangelical Bible reading, is we just sort of snatch things wherever we want to take them from, and we don't pay attention to why they're there and the context around it. And you really can't understand a passage without understanding the context. And, and if you've read Jeremiah before, you would know that Jeremiah's got a lot of tough words. It's a lot of um, calling out Israel for their sin. In fact, the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah is like, this is what you've done wrong, basically. You know, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this. And uh, it's very much... Uh, a heavy letter, and then all of a sudden, when we get to chapters 30 through 33, we get what many people refer to as the book of consolation. This is God's response to that. You know, we expect judgment, and there's certainly, there's certainly that present in Jeremiah, but there's also this warmth and this call of His mercy to us, that if you would return, He desires to, to, to bring us in. And, and um, the, the verse that He focuses on for this chapter is chapter 31, verse 20, and it says simply this, is Ephraim my dear son, and reminding you that Ephraim here is shorthand synonym for Israel, his people. So is Ephraim or Israel my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And the word used for heart here, Ortland tells us, is, is literally the guts of God, the insides, the innermost parts. He says, 
I, in my heart of hearts, I yearn, I am restless to show mercy. I will surely have mercy, and mercy there's doubled. I will surely have mercy, having mercy, I will have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And so you see, even in the midst of this tough book of the Bible, you, you see this very clear call of God's mercy. And so uh, this will be how we wrap up tonight. So these, there's three more questions there, and I'll turn it back over to the discussion leaders, and then I'll pray in just a moment to conclude us so that we can go load up furniture. So um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're a little over time. And I, I just wanted to, this last question, I don't know if y'all got to it, but it was, you know, how, what's this book's method to convince us, basically? And I think you can see that his approach is he's building a case from lots of data in Scripture. Like, that's what he's doing, right? He's kind of repeating some of the same themes, but he's letting the text drive the nuance of, of what, what we're to take away from it. And I think it's a pretty convincing case. You know, like, if you, it'd be one thing if you had, you know, one, one verse that might be the anomaly in Scripture. And, you know, then you could easily say, well, maybe we're just misinterpreting that verse. It's the only one that says that. You know, we have some verses like that, you know, that seems to kind of be, we got to figure out how to interpret this. But as you can see, this is pervasive. This is all over Scripture, this theme, this emphasis on God's mercy. And uh, I think if, you know, this is my last week leading the discussion of this book, and I think that my prayer is that if, if this could change our, the way we pray, and the way we relate to God, that would be wonderful. That we see that we can come to Him and, and come with confidence that He is this God of mercy who's gentle and lowly and um, not impatient with us and, and not pushing us away, but embracing us and meeting us where we are. Um, so let me pray for us. Father, I thank You for these groups and these discussions tonight, Lord, I just pray that, um, God, we would grow in our, our awareness and confidence and knowledge of who you really are. And I pray that, um, God, your mercy and love and gentleness would be a great comfort to everybody uh, in this church. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.